Our next speaker is Mr. Tim Francis. Anyone heard Tim speak before? Yeah, okay, you're in for a treat. Um, really quick, uh, Tim grew up one of six children, never missing mass. However, when he went to college, he slowly got sucked into the party scene. Dr. James Dobson once said that, you know, have you ever been whitewater rafting? He said, that's the way our culture is. The best kids from the best families will get sucked downstream in this culture. And God bless Tim, that's what happened to him. He got in the party scene, eventually got addicted to drugs. And one person never gave up on him. You wanna guess who that was? His mom. And um, in 1999, she gave Tim a um, VHS tape called Signs from God, Science Test Faith. This is it right here, it's, it's really worth watching. Um, and then it wasn't until 2008 that he discovered the real meaning of those miracles when he saw a documentary on TV. Um, uh, Tim's had a radical conversion, and since then he's given over 100 parish missions. And, um, you know, they say that 70% of the canonized saints were people that were wild men or wild women and that came over. Isn't that interesting? You think that they were all these? No, most of them were people who had gone one way and then came back. And Tim was one of these people. And I think someone who's been on both sides has a different view. And I think in many ways their message is very powerful. And so um, uh, Tim's got to start. I want to say one other thing on purgatory. There's this, you guys hear the story of Padre Pio? You know, he could read souls. I don't know if you heard this story, true story. A woman came to him in confession and said, my son committed suicide. Is he in heaven? And that's all she told him. She didn't tell him anything else. Padre Pio knew exactly how he died. And he said, your son is not in heaven, but he's in purgatory. He said, right before he hit the water, apparently her son had committed suicide by jumping off a bridge. He said, right before he hit the water, Jesus gave him one more shot. He said, do you want me or do you not want me? And he said, your son said yes. So your son's in purgatory. So what John said is true. We always need to keep praying for the souls. There's always hope. With that, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Tim Francis. Good morning. Oh, as I said, this, uh, Dominic said, how many people have seen Tim's presentation? I think everybody raised their hand. So I, I'm, most of you probably could do this presentation, I suspect. Um, is there anybody in here who has not seen this presentation? Uh, beautiful. Um, not, not for my purposes, but for the information. Uh, obviously, this on the screen is my mom and dad. And before I get started, um, I don't have time, obviously, because you're on a time limit to go through all these people. But from my heart of hearts, Dr. Gregory and Paula and Bob and Norb, all, Brenda, all of you just beautiful people that are just prayer warriors, and many of you in your retirement spending all of your time for this, and many of you who are here in your seats right now who have heard this stuff a million times, who I'm totally preaching to the choir, who have kids and grandkids that are not in the choir, and that it just absolutely breaks your heart that John talked about. Um, I just want to thank you. I really do, because you're the staple of the church. You're the staple of the church. I always think it's ironic that I'm up here talking. I was at a Divine Mercy conference six, seven years ago. There's thousands of men and women, and they're just prayer warriors. And I'm like, what the heck am I doing 
talking to, what, I mean, what am I going to, get out of the world. <laughs> you guys are at abortion clinics, you're praying the rosary. So what I understand very clearly um, is when Dr. Gregory asked me to come here, I have learned over the last nine years that my, my main role to be used is a pebble in the pond and that I can come and I could maybe remind you of what you already know, but also give you tools and insights of things that I feel have been very impactful for bringing kids and grandkids back to the church. It's up to the Holy Spirit, like John says, but we have to do our part. Last I checked, God helps those who help themselves. But also that I can get into a parish. And if I've never been to your parish, that's my bread and butter. Because I want to reach all the people that are going to Mass once in a while. And that's the new evangelization. But this is my mom and dad, of course. My mother is uh, certainly here, without a question. And for those of you who haven't heard the story, probably the, the, the title of the talk should be The Power of a Mother's Prayer. This is my family. They've gotten a lot bigger than this, but my wife is downstairs manning the table. Um, I, I've been married as of Monday, 20 years. And so, um, yeah, what a great anniversary. Never thought I'd ever spend 20 years ago my anniversary at a Catholic church, to be honest with you. Um, we've got three children. Uh, it's interesting because my talk has so much to do with the Sacred Heart. This is a picture of me. I certainly never put it in there to be cute. Um, I put it in there because everything I'm going to talk about has to do with the Sacred Heart. And I went to a church called Sacred Heart. But growing up, I didn't know what you know. I didn't go, Dominic talked about Padre Pio. I didn't go to Catholic school. I didn't know anything about saints or mystics. None of it ever was discussed. My mom was a convert. My dad was a cradle Catholic. And you know, my dad's 83. And we grew up in the generation that you mind your P's and Q's. You didn't talk politics. You didn't talk religion. It's not his fault. You just didn't talk about it. He was too busy working. Um, this is what happened. I went off to Ohio State. If you look at that picture, many of you probably were there. Maybe not Ohio State, but at another university, or your kids and grandkids are. Dominic said, you know, Tim went off and went crazy. I did. A lot of people went off and went crazy, but I went real crazy. It's not a bragging point, obviously, uh, but I, I grew up with perfect parents. Dominic talked about it. What you talked about with the raft, that was so perfect because that's exactly it. People always ask me, parents, grandparents. I mean, I've done hundreds of parish missions, and they always ask me, my kids, I don't understand what I did wrong. And I'm like, stop that. Wait, what do you think you did something wrong? If your kids and grandkids, it's all about who you hang out with, isn't it? That's it. And the current is vicious. We know that. But this was me. This was my, this is where I lived. Other than the gym, this is where I lived. And that bucket, you see that bucket? It cost us, it's a bucket of beer. It cost us five bucks. So 20 of us would put in like 50 cents and we'd drink all day. And that's what we did. Wednesday through Sunday, my feast days were Ohio State, Michigan football. That's, that's what I lived for. That's what I lived for. Never went to church unless I came home to the small town that I grew up in called New Carlisle, Ohio. What happened is I went over to Dallas, Texas. I was chasing money. Wanted to be rich. I met this girl who's now my wife. And we got married in Lake Tahoe outside the Catholic Church. Okay? Okay. Outside the Catholic Church, we got married. And my mom and dad weren't happy about that. I remember going to the deacon down in the cathedral in Dallas, and I said, we're going to get married. I was going to get married in the church. 
And he said, you have to sign something that says you're going to raise your kids Catholic. And I'm like, well, we can't, I, I, I don't even know if we're going to do that. My wife wasn't Catholic. He was like, basically, why are you here? I'm like, well, I'm Catholic. He's like, no, not really. You're not a practicing Catholic. So we got married in Lake Tahoe. This picture I found years after my mother passed away. My dad must have took it. Interesting, because he never took pictures. That's not my dad's style. But if you can see the date, of course you can, August 15th. We got married August 12th. And this picture is in Lake Tahoe. My mom and dad came to kind of support us. I found out later that my mom talked my dad into it. My dad didn't want to come. My dad's a very strict, no nonsense, we're not going to support something like that. They're getting married outside the church. But there's my mother praying and asking the, the Blessed Mother to pray for everybody she ever met in her entire life. Now, I guess my mom passed when she was 65. I don't know, I think she'd be like 80 or something right now, and she'd be right here in line for confession. We got, one of the things she was praying about is we got invited to a big mega church. Do any of you have kids and grandkids that are going to a non-denominational church? Raise your hand just so I know I'm talking to. Okay, you do? So this was me. I was... I didn't have any problem with it. My wife had a theater, but now this is an actual picture. I mean, this is not, I mean, this doesn't look like this church, right? It looks like a concert, doesn't it? So we thought it was absolutely great. I called my mom and said, hey, I'm going to a church. And, I, and she, I, she said, is it mass to show you where I was? I don't know. I don't know what you mean. I, honestly, that's where I was. What do you mean mass? I don't pay attention to that. I don't, this church is this church. What does it matter what church you go to? I mean, who cares? I'm going to church, right? My wife and I met in a bar. So we went from the bar scene to the Bible scene. Now, I'm not saying if you go to a bar, something's wrong with that. But if you spend Wednesday through Sunday, probably it is. So I got my first Bible study ever in my entire life. I called my mom, said, I'm in a Bible study. She introduced me to this guy. Most of you probably know who it is. The four of you who don't. He still has a show. It's called The Journey Home. If you go to my mom's and dad's house, my dad's still alive, and you blow off the cobwebs, literally, of the VCR tapes, they're stacked up in his basement, and you'll see Mother Angelica, Life on the Rock, and The Journey Home. And she taped every show. She sent it to me. Now, John talked about, you know, beating your kids over the head. Mom never did that. She, did you go to Mass? I just lied about it, you know, because I... Yeah, sure, we went to Mass. Mass. Sunday was a day of recuperation. But when she sent me this tape, I was going to a Bible study. And so I was actually interested. And if you don't know, this guy basically was a Protestant pastor, and he interviews all these people who were, who were very educated non-Catholics, and all of them came back to the Catholic Church. But see, I knew there was always two sides to every story, always. And I'm a football guy historically, not a Bible guy. So I wanted to hear both sides. So I, I wanted to kind of, I'm a cheat sheet guy. So this is me way back when. The baby that Father Pacwa is, that's at my house, by the way, and the baby that Father Pacwa's holding is now 6'3". That's my son. And the reason he's at my house, Father Mitch Pacwa, if you don't know, he's, back then he spoke 12 languages. Probably he speaks 50 now. I mean, all of the biblical, ancient, archaic languages, you know what I mean? And I'm like, all right, so Father Pock was on one side, and I have leaders of the big Bible church on the other side. And I was literally recording them, and they were discussing the faith because I wanted to know who was right. 
After a year or two of listening to every debate I could get my hands on, by the way, that's how I learned my faith, debates, I decided the Catholic Church won the day. I wasn't overly happy about it because the other church was a lot more fun. <laughs> Eventually, when we started going to the, to the, my wife wanted nothing to do with it. And when we started going to make the marriage work, we started going to the Catholic Mass and the big mega church. My kids would say, are we going to the fun church or the boring church? We'll talk a lot about that today and this afternoon. By the way, this is part one. If you leave today and you don't, can't stay for part two, it's a um, good thing Dominic said purgatory is, you know, you're happy because it's about seven years in purgatory if you, if, if you leave early. Um, so, but try not to leave. And I don't say that because I'm here, because the reason I am here is for your kids and grandkids and the people at your parish that, that don't understand what you understand. That's the reason I'm here. So my mom sent me another tape. As uh, Dominic mentioned, this was in 1999, Science from God, Science Test Faith. I'd never seen anything like this. I didn't know about Padre Pio and the stigmata. By a show of hands, and I never ask anybody to raise their hand to be cute. I'm doing it so I know who I'm speaking to. By the show of hands, how many of you do not know all the miracles attached to or most of the miraculous stuff attached to Padre Pio. Is there anybody like me? Oh, raise your hand high. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> I always think everybody knows this stuff. Because when I heard about this stuff, I said, this is unbelievable. We'll talk a lot about that. Um, what happened is, I, my mom sent me this tape. I witnessed a lady, which you're going to see in about five minutes, experience the stigmata. Now, I didn't know what a stigmata is. Again, for the two of you who do not, it's where people experience the wounds of Christ. Dominic mentioned Padre Pio, Saint Padre Pio. He bled a pint of blood every day for 50 years. And I witnessed this lady experience the stigmata, not in 1950, not in 1200s, right? I'm talking to somebody who lives today who I met. And I basically had two questions. Is it real? And if it is real, what does it mean? I lost the, t the VHS tape my mom sent me. I never found out. There was no book. There was nothing on the internet. And literally 10 years after my mom sent that to me, some guy called me out of the blue and he said, Tim, I was cleaning out my house. And this guy doesn't even go to church. Kind of the conversation was like this. Yo, man, what's up, bro? <laughs> I was cleaning out my house, dog. And I found some Catholic tapes. I thought you might want them. You can get, it's not his style to even care about that, right? So I got with him and there was my mom's VCR tape. I got online and I Googled and I found this book. Now I didn't write the book. People asked me to sign it. I think that's odd, but I'll write a prayer or something in it. I don't write that well anymore. But uh, the point is I made, I, made, I made a commitment essentially to God and to the Blessed Mother that I would travel the world and eventually do a movie and I would tell everybody this story in the most profound way, but I didn't want to tell you about it. I wanted you to experience it. So over the next 45 minutes or so now, and then this afternoon, I'm going to do my best to fire hose you and allow you to experience this. By the way, every one of you, people sell this. I don't make a red cent. It's okay if you do. You have to make money in the ministry. I'm in a situation where I don't need to make money off these books and stuff. It goes back to the ministry, so anything you buy, I can say you should buy a bunch. You have five kids, five books. I know there's lots of great books, um, but this has been very important for bringing kids back to the church for me. 
So here's the cliff note version. It's not going to feel like the cliff notes. It's going to feel like a bunch of stuff, but it is the cliff note. It's the story of a lawyer, a journalist, and a scientist. And they examined supposed miraculous stuff. The first person actually died this March. He died of throat cancer. How ironic when you hear a story. He used his voice. He was against the Catholic Church for many years. He was hostile toward it. In Australia, how many of you have heard of, in America, how many of you have heard of Mike Wallace from 60 Minutes? That's who he is in Australia. I mean famous. Anybody over 40 in Australia knows who the man is. He was voted richest 200 people in Australia. I don't say that as a bragging point. I say that because to his own admission, he was very rich, very arrogant, and he hated the Catholic Church. Now, what did he do for a living? He was an investigative journalist. He did not want to investigate the story that I'm about to tell you, but his neighbor who wrote this book, Ron Tesserero, who used to be a partner in a law firm, drug him in to this. The way Ron put it was, he said, it would be like if you wanted a painting of your wife and your next door neighbor was Leonardo da Vinci. He said, that's who Mike Willisey is in Australia. And he came to believe that all of these things y'all believe, the miraculous stuff, the truths of the faith, he came to believe they were true and he wanted the whole world to hear it and see it. The other person you're gonna hear from right away, Ricardo Castanon, neuropsychophysiologist. He was a professor, professor and a scientist. As you can see, he was an outspoken atheist. So these are not theologians. <laughs> these are people who are coming from it from different perspectives, him from a scientific perspective. Mike Willisey, from an investigative perspective. Ron Tesserero, who wrote the book, as an attorney, a meticulous attorney, who wanted to investigate the miraculous. You know, Ricardo said something interesting when he was interviewed on Fox. He said, you know, in America, you study rocks, you study stars, you study all these things. But who's studying the miraculous? Who's investigating it from a scientific level? See, there's two types of people, according to him. There's the religious people who believe everything is from God. There's St. Michael the Archangel. I saw a shadow. Then there's the uh, non-religious, materialistic kind of people who believe only in facts, and they believe nothing is miraculous. They, be, they don't believe in God. So Ricardo said, why don't we start in the middle and let the evidence take us where we're going? So the first person you're going to hear about, and you're going to hear from Mike Willisey and Ricardo Castanon, is this lady. A lot more you can hear about this. Here's the takeaway for her that if this is your first time or your tenth time, is uh, essentially Jesus calls her his pen and says, you're my secretary. And I kind of picture Jesus picking up her and writing. And he says, I, I need to convey messages to humanity through you. Now you heard she never finished high school. Um, she only Spanish, but she'll literally write. Uh, they filmed her writing for an hour straight without pausing once, quoting scripture from the Old to the New Testament, writing in, 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 in Latin, Greek, Polish, Italian. So what the scientists and investigators figured out is, wow, there's something outside of the natural laws going on here. What the church decided was uh, three different bishops in fact, her archbishop wrote a page and a half, and he said, these are not pious writings from a pious person. Let me correct you. This is her archbishop. He said, these are from the, hands of, these are from, from the mouth of Christ. And he said, I plead with you to print them, to meditate upon them. 
And I want to plead to you, because most of you get this. You've written all kinds of messages and books. You've got stacks of books you have to read. If I had to say one thing to read, one thing to read, it would be start with live the holy mass that Jesus gave to Catalina Rivas. And I'm going to show you how to get your kids to read it as well by the time I'm done. So there's this thing that caught my attention. So there's, if you look on the screen, you see some pictures of this lady, which you're going to see in a minute, having stigmata. You see, the, you know, there's, throughout the centuries, there's been lots of people, hundreds of people that have had the stigmata. But there's not been one person in the history of our church or humanity that prophesied, predicted in advance, in front of cameras, in front of atheists, non-believers, that said they, they, when they would have it, by the words of Christ, and that it was filmed from beginning until end. And you're looking at it. It happened in 1999. 28 million people watched this, and my mother filmed it, part of it. Sent it to me on a VCR tape. But yet you can go up to anybody outside on the street and say, have you ever seen that lady having the stigmata on Fox, the signs from God? Almost nobody's seen it. So here's the backdrop of the story. What happened is, they went over there to Bolivia because they said she was having the stigmata. You know, Dominic, it's one thing to hear about Padre Pio, but I don't know anybody that knows Padre Pio. Some of you might, but I don't. So as a doubting Thomas, how do I know it's real? But here's a lady who lives today. So they said she's having the stigmata every single Friday. So they went over there thinking they're going to film it. And, oops, when they got there, Notice he said, on June 4th, we had an appointment with God. Now, what was the message that she received supposedly from Jesus? It said, come back when? The day after the what? The feast of Corpus Christi. What an odd way to tell somebody to come back, <laughs> right? And don't come, it's like someone's coming to your house Sunday, you're having a get-together, and you say, you send Evites out, and you say, come to my house the day after Saturday. They'd be like, well, that's rather cryptic, right? So interesting. By the way, he didn't think anything odd. He didn't pick up on it. He didn't even know what the Feast of Corpus Christi was. He wasn't even converted. He's just writing this down as a professional, famous investigative journalist. Okay, so you see on the day after the Feast of Corpus Christi, yeah, uh, you'll, we'll have it. And he said, we got an appointment with God on June the 4th. Look at that picture. What is that? Now, why would the cameras, these are 60-minute camera crews, these are not monks that believed all this stuff. They don't know she's going to have a stigmata. Why would they hone in and cut this clip on the, on the sacred heart? They're not thinking anything of it. He said, on June, fo focus, on June the 4th, we have an appointment with God. And then the cameras hone in on this. They have no idea what's going to happen in two months. The prophecy was, come back the day after the Feast of Corpus Christi. I, I'm guessing that Jesus wants us to understand the backdrop, the understanding of the Feast of Corpus Christi. Let's talk about the prophecy. It, it said, come back the day after the Feast of Corpus Christi. And what is the Feast of Corpus Christi? Yeah, it's Latin for body of Christ, but as you'll find out as I move forward, the reason it was started, it was implemented as a universal feast day, because in Italy, there was a priest doing Mass, and during Mass, he, to his own admission, he didn't believe in his heart of hearts that it really was the body and blood of Christ. And it started to bleed onto his hands and onto his altar cloth. And if you go to Orvieto, Italy, 
on the Feast of Corpus Christi, you will see they, they parade around the same blood-stained altar cloth. So what's the point? Obviously, Jesus was highlighting something, doubt in the Holy Eucharist, because he wanted people, he said, come back the day after the Feast of Corpus Christi. But the day after the Feast of Corpus Christi is not normally the Feast of the Sacred Heart, right? It's not the day after, for those of you who know your feast days. But in 1999, it was. And interesting enough, look at that picture. Two months before this happened, the camera crews, the Doubting Thomases, honed in, they edited the film, and they decided to finish it right on that the Sacred Heart statue. Not having any idea that she was going to have a stigmata, and certainly not having any idea that what you just saw would happen on the Feast of the Sacred Heart. So what is the Feast of the Sacred Heart? Well, as you know, uh, St. Margaret Mary, today they call her St. Margaret Mary. Back then they called her nuts. Right? You know the story, the religious people? Why? Because she says Jesus was appearing to her. By the way, Catalina says the same thing. If you go to my website, You Shall Believe, you can see a 20-minute video my mom sent me, and you can see an interview where Catalina says Jesus is standing behind Mike Willisey. It is unbelievable to see that. This Feast of the Sacred Heart, one of the primary messages that Jesus gave, he pulled his heart out of his chest and he said, my heart is suffering, basically. He said, my greatest wound is what? Indifferentism toward the Blessed Sacrament. Very much like the Feast of, of the Corpus Christi, a suffering, wounded heart because of indifferentism toward the Holy Eucharist. Look what Jesus told Catalina. He said, Behold this heart which has loved men so much, and in return I receive from most men only ingratitude because of their irreverence, their sacrilege, their coldness, their scorn they have for me in the sacrament of love. How many of you have been to Mass and saw people like me walking up irreverently and said, Oh, what? that's unbelievable. What do they think? They're just getting a piece of bread? Or maybe somebody came in with cut-off jean shorts something that was immodest, and you said, this is ridiculous in your head, or maybe to somebody else. Jesus has a message for you, because Catalina said the same thing. She, she was in Mass, and she said, what a shame to see so many people approach the Lord in such a routine, humdrum manner, as if they were only receiving a piece of bread. And Jesus spoke to her. And I think this is a perfect message, for, like John was talking about, humility. And Jesus says, how can you possibly be surprised at the laity when the vast majority of them are scarcely aware of my presence in the Holy Eucharist? You know what he said? He said, over the centuries, I have given my brothers and sisters so many Eucharistic miracles, and yet they've rolled right off their backs. 95% of the people in the pews don't have a clue what a Eucharistic miracle is. Now, in fairness, they probably don't care at this point. We'll talk about that as well. At the end of the show, Mike said, what do you want people to get from this? Now remember, she just had a stigmata. Try to put yourself in Mike's shoes. You just witnessed this lady predict and have a stigmata. They said the very next day the wounds would be completely healed. They were. I make the wounds and I heal them. And he says, well, what do you want people to get from this? She said two things. One, I want them to remember we have a live Christ in the Holy Eucharist. 
Now that's an interesting thing to say. You just had a stigmata. What do you want people to get from this? He says, I want people to know that we have a live Christ in the Holy Eucharist. The Feast of Corpus Christi, the Feast of Sacred Heart. Aren't those two feast days centered and, and, and brought to, to the forefront and became universal feast days because people didn't believe that we have a live Christ in the Holy Eucharist? And then she said, please don't forget Jesus' suffering for all of us. Now, whenever I think of Jesus' suffering, I think of the Mel Gibson movie, right? Getting beaten on that. Jesus says, and I'm paraphrasing, if that's what you're thinking about, you're missing the whole thing. He said, you're missing it. He said, my greatest suffering was in the garden the night before. And the way I think of this is, I've been guilty many times in my life. I'm sure you have as well. And think of a time you've been really, really guilty. <laughs> and you couldn't even function that day until you made it right with that person. You follow me? Well, imagine taking on everybody's guilt all at once, past, present, and future. And that's why Jesus said he, said he sweat blood, taking on everybody's guilt. This me leads me perfectly to this next one. Mystical phenomenon number three. Now we've all heard the scriptures, hopefully. My flesh is real food, my blood is real drink. Whenever you hear language like this, I am the living bread who came down from heaven. The man is reading quotes that, G that Catalina says come directly from Jesus. I have a boatload of more information to share with you, but I want to slow down for a few minutes before, because I'm going to break and be done in the first part, but share a couple things with you. Um, I saw that stigmata because my mom... Uh, recorded on Fox. I've never went to Catholic school. I don't know anything about mystics. You got to know where I was in life. You know, I went from going to Catholic church every Sunday to going out to Ohio State, parting my tail off to eventually being addicted to cocaine and crack. And I grew up the greatest parents, six kids. I mean, I'm just great examples. Next thing I know, I was in the hood with people with nine millimeters and goat teeth. And, 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 and how I didn't die, I have no, no clue. I mean, I do, of course, the power of a mother's prayer. You know, the Blessed Mother told Catalina, actually Jesus told Catalina, she said, if one person in your family prays the rosary from the heart, my mother has promised that every person in your family will be saved. Like John said, we don't know when and how. We don't know when and how. Now, I can picture my mom on her knees uh, in the couch praying that rosary. I can picture that, praying that rosary. She had a, a prayer list so long. We thought mom was too religious. We loved her, but she thought was too religious. You know, there's more to life than church, mom. All of us should go to church now. This story had a big impact on me and my family, to say the least. But when I saw that stigmata, I had two questions. Is it real? If it is real, what does it mean? It took me 10 years to find that answer out. But when I did, I set out on a mission. I'm still on that mission nine years later. Finally, I want to leave you this. I was in Arizona six years ago, seven years ago. A lady came up to me after the first night. She said, my son has to hear this. I said, bring him. She said, he ain't going to come. <laughs> he didn't live at the house. I said, guilt him. <laughs> You're his mother. She said, he won't come. I said, pay him. She laughed, and I said, did you pay for his college? She said, yeah. I said, try it. He sent me an email. It's on my website. It's in my material. He, said, he sent me an email. He said, I want to thank you for changing my life. My mother drugged me to the second night of your mission. Now, she paid him 100 bucks. He goes, I only used to go to Mass on Christmas and Easter. He said, now I made a good confession, and now I go to daily Mass. Four months ago, I was in St. John, Michigan. A kid, a 36-year-old man who goes to St. Joseph 
He belongs to St. Joseph. His kids go to Catholic school, but he doesn't go to church, him and his wife. Why? He said, because I didn't get anything out of it. He said, why did you bring your kids there? He said, I figured maybe they'd find something I missed. But he got a postcard in the mail, because at our parish mission, we send a postcard to everybody. He said, I figured I'd try to go. Long story short, he said, I was mesmerized, not because of Tim Francis, because of the information. And he, he, afterwards, he said, I have not missed, it was like four or five months ago, he said, I have not missed Mass since. Thank you for your ear and, and your time.